Okay, Maple Grove, are you ready? Yeah. All right. All right, let's do this. It's Thursday night, the night of Jesus' arrest. He had washed the disciples' feet and telling them to go and to do likewise. He had given them a, a new commandment to, to love one another just as he had loved them. And by this, all men would know that they are his disciples. He encouraged them by telling them, you know, do not let your heart be troubled, even though a bunch of stuff is about to be dumped upon you. Instead, you know, trust in God, trust in me, and, and trust in the, the hope that one day I'm, I'm coming back to get you and that you will live in my Father's house forever. He tells them that, that he is the way, the truth, and that he is the life. And he reminds them that, that they are just branches and that, and that, that he's the vine. And that the one thing, that their primary focus is that if they will remain in him, if they will stay connected to him, then they will bear much fruit and bring glory to the Father. I mean, it's absolutely crazy, all the stuff. It was fire. Jesus was fire hosing these guys as he's walking from the upper room to the garden where he was arrested. And um, matter of fact, this week in our faith comes from hearing, uh, we're going to be reading uh, uh, all of John, where John talks about this, I want to encourage you to do that, uh, reading from John 11 through John 17 uh, this very week. We all read that together. I think that'll be awesome and incredible. And, and then in John 15, uh, Jesus tells them some not-so-fun stuff uh, that's going to happen to them. Here's what he says. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, if you're like the world, if you were a son of the world, if you had the values and the, and the beliefs and the mind and spirit of the world, the world, would, the world would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, and I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obey my teachings, they'll obey yours. Uh, they will treat you this way because of my name, because of my person, my, my character, my purposes, my ways, for they do not know the one who sent me. Uh, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogues. In fact, uh, there's a time coming when anyone who kills you, who harms you, attacks you, will think they're offering a service to God. Uh, they will do such things because they, do not have, they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. Again, not, not so fun stuff that is going to be happening to these guys. And then fast forward to Acts chapter 5. The apostles are in the, they're in the temple courts. They're preaching about Jesus to the people despite being ordered not to do this. And so the captain of the guards arrest them and bring them before the Sanhedrin, the religious body in charge at that day. And, and they say, we gave you strict orders not to talk about this Jesus, and yet you are filling all of Jerusalem with his name, and you're trying to make us guilty of this guy's blood. And, and Peter said, you know what, we got to obey God rather than you, and then Peter begins to preach a sermon about Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, and it really ticked them off. In fact, they wanted to kill the apostles, but they decided, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to flog them. We're going to beat them 39 times with a rod, with a lash, or with a whip, and tell them, don't talk about Jesus anymore. How would you react 
if you were ordered by those in power not to talk about Jesus, and if you just got beaten 39 times in the back with a rod or a whip, I mean, you're bruised and you're bleeding, how would you react? Here's how they reacted. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Seriously, are you kidding me? Now, now, I'm not sure how I would have responded. I'd like to think that I would have responded like they did, but I'm not sure I would. And one more passage, uh, Peter's was writing to the believers who were suffering severely under the persecution of Nero. Uh, fleeing their homes. Many had already died, been arrested. And he says this to Christians, Jesus followers. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder or stealing or making trouble or prying to other people's fares or for being obnoxious, for being annoying, for being a jerk. That's my paraphrase. Uh, but it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to God who created you. For he will never fail you. Turn to the person to your right left and tell them, he will never fail you. I made a mess. Uh, Father God, we humbly come into your presence. And God, how good it is to know that you will never fail us. We fail ourselves. People fail us. Let us down. And we live in a a pretty tough world. But how good to know that you never fail us. And God, I know that you have uh, some truth you want to pour out on us. And and God, I, I pray that our hearts are open, our ears are open, our minds are open, and that your word will find fertile soil. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's do this. Now, we are wrapping up our series, The End of Me. And it's been an incredible time, i got to tell you. And, and we're not really wrapping it up, but we're wrapping it up to take it home, right? Because God has poured out some truths about how you and I can get to the end of me, how we can die to ourselves and pick up our cross. And, and, and we're just started that journey, right? So the series ends, but the, but the journey continues. And if you missed any message, I would encourage you to check it out on our podcast, online, on our Facebook Live. Hey, Facebook Live. And, and, uh, um, and even if you have been here, you know, I, I plan on listening to some of these messages again to apply these truths. Jesus said in Luke 17, if you cling to your life, if you live for yourself, you'll lose it. And some of you know that, right? It ain't working. And if you let your life go, you stop living for you and start living for God, guess what? It works out kind of good. 
And Jesus said that when we get to the end of me, we will have real life, that we will have a, a blessed life. And does anyone in this room want to have a full, real, and blessed life? Raise your hand. And if you don't, feel free to leave, right? <laughs> this is, it's not the place for you. Uh, sorry. Um, but that's what we're about. And uh, I want you guys to stand, and we're going to read together something we read when we began this series. It's from the introduction to the book, The End of Me. Uh, by Kyle Eidelman. And on the count of three, we're going to read this together. After I say three. Not on three, right? But after three. And usually I mess this up, but one, two, three. I love you, me, but I can't keep living for you. You always insisted that if I just keep you happy, then I'd be happy. As simple as that. But you know what? It's not as simple as that. It never has been. Me, I've let you be in control and sit in the driver's seat, but it's clear you can't be trusted. You keep insisting you know the way we should go, but it always seems to be a dead end. I've looked at some other options, and I decided to begin a journey down a different path. It's narrow and difficult, and not many choose it, but it leads to real and abundant life. However, and there's no easy way to say this, I can't take this path if I bring you along. So me, this is the end of you. Sincerely, me. Amen. You can be seated. Get it? Good. And so we've been doing these last nine weeks as we've, we've been looking at some of this upside down teaching of Jesus, this counterintuitive way of living uh, that is anchored and rooted in the, the Beatitudes uh, that help us to Give up our own way, take up our cross, follow Jesus, and get to the end of me. Uh, ways that on the surface don't seem to make sense, but they're actually what works. Uh, ways like being poor in spirit where we acknowledge our brokenness, our, our broken mess, that we're bankrupt before God, and that we need his help. God, I can't. Can't do it. Can't fix it. Can't repair it. Can't restore it. Uh, ways like how sorrow and sadness and, and pain and mourning or a pathway to happiness. You see, it, it is in the tears that we shed over our loss, over, over our sin, and over the sin of this world that we experience the presence and comfort of God in ways that we can experience no other way than through those tears. As Job said in Job 42.5, my ears have heard about you, but now in my pain and sorrow you showed up, and my eyes have seen you. Now ways like Blessed are the gentle, those who keep their strength and power under control. Because as upside down as it seems, that they're the ones who actually win and, and, and inherit the earth. But ways like taking the me out of team, doing your part, getting in the game, living your life not to be served, but to serve others. Ways like stopping all the pretending and the faking and the spotlight performing, taking off our mask, cleaning the inside of the cup so that we will be pure in heart and can see God. Ways like our default mode when we're hurt is mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Now, ways like hungering after righteousness, thirsting after righteousness, hungering and thirsting to be right with God and to live right for God. And ways like being a peacemaker, making peace with God ourselves, making peace with others as far as it depends on us, helping others make peace with others, and, and uh, 
helping others make peace with God. Remember, a peacemaker is someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another and who breathes truth, grace, and righteousness in the conflict. You see, God's kind of peace, it's not, it's not fake, it's not Disney World, it's not a, a painted on smile, it's not a Mr. Rogers neighborhood, won't you be my neighbor kind of peace where, where we fake it on the outside and inside the conflict is still there. You know, God's kind of peace is grounded in, in truth and in, and in righteousness and in grace. You know, this week I ran into a brother um, and uh, I emailed him that we need to have a peacekeeping, a peacemaking meeting this week. And uh, he said, yeah, let's do it. So we're going to be hooking up and having a meeting that's grounded in truth and righteousness and grace. Not Disneyland, not painting on fake smiles. I don't do fake, neither does God. All right? Now this morning we're going to unpack the eighth beatitude. And I got to tell you, it's a tough one, right? It's very counterintuitive. It's very upside down. It's very end of me getting. And before we read it, I, I want to point out some unique things about this eighth beatitude. Um, well, one, it's the last, right? And, and that's significant, right? It's he, Jesus kind of wrapping up. He's kind of concluding where he's been taking us. And he's kind of saying, hey, you know what? If you live out these seven beatitudes, here, here, here's where you're going to land. It's the longest beatitude. And anytime the Holy Spirit, he doesn't waste his words. So anytime he, he, he says a lot, I think we should dive in and see what he has to say. It's, it's the only beatitude that has a command. We're commanded to rejoice, which is not our natural response when persecuted. It's the only beatitude with an explanation. You see, Jesus understands that when you and I face persecution, that our tendency will be to withdraw and turn away from him. I mean, most psychologists will tell us that uh, the reason we do what we do and don't do what we do is to avoid pain, physical, emotional, mental pain. It's the only beatitude repeated by Jesus. If he says something more than once, we should check it out. And six is the only beatitude that directly addresses the person who's reading it. You see, all the other beatitudes are a statement of fact addressed to the crowd. But in this one, Jesus, is, he mixes it up. In Matthew 5.11, he, he moves from the third person pronoun they to the second person pronoun you. In other words, he's talking directly to every Jesus follower who reads these words, and he's looking them directly into their eyes. Here's, here's the beatitude. As I read it, you're going to see a close connection to this passage as I, I read it at the beginning. I'm calling this conversation not worth comparing. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Seriously? Happy? Joyful? Satisfied? Fulfilled? Are those who are persecuted Talk about upside down. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, joyful, happy, satisfied, and fulfilled when people insult you, persecute you, lie about you, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. And, and here's how I want to attack this text. I want us to unpack three statements. Uh, persecution is a given. Uh, persecution is a gift. And persecution is a gauge. Guys, I hate to tell you this. But persecution is a given. And, and that's what makes this beatitude kind of tough because 
Here's the deal. Most of us like people to like us, right? You know, we're, we're not into people not liking us. You know, we don't want people to hate us. Yet, Jesus told his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind they hated me first. You do not belong to the world. That is why the world hates you. If they persecuted you, they will persecute. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Thank you very much, Jesus. In other words, persecution is a given. In fact, Jesus, when talking to his disciples in Matthew 24, he he kind of tells them, hey, here, here's a preview of coming attraction for you guys. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. Sign me up. I'm re-enlisting, right? And, and church history, right, tells us that these guys all died martyr's death except John. Uh, James was beheaded. And it said that on the way to be a martyr, the guy who accused them became so convicted by James's faith that he surrendered to Christ and got beheaded alongside of him. Philip was scourged, thrown into prison, and then crucified. Matthew was killed with a sword. Uh, James, son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Andrew was crucified, but not with nails, with, with rope, and he hung there for three days, and the entire time he was preaching the gospel. Peter was crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy to die the same way his Lord died. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten with clubs and then crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Simon the Zealot was crucified, and John was exiled island called Patmos, where he died as a prisoner. Yes, persecution is given. In fact, God breathed these words in 2 Timothy 3.12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ. Anybody out there want to live a godly life? What does he say? We'll be what? We persecute it. What? That doesn't look good on a t-shirt, right? We don't like that one. And Paul writing to church in Philippi from a prison cell says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to what? Suffer for him. Granted? <laughs> I love this. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of the resurrection. Don't we love that? But it doesn't end there. And, and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. In other words, I, I want to know Christ and I want to suffer like Christ suffered so I can know him. Paul wrote to the young church in Thessalonica. He reminded them that Timothy was sent to them so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know, like, you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that we were, as you well know. And again, Peter writing to believers suffering under Nero's persecution, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial. You're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Like, what, what do you mean? What, why do you think, why are you surprised? It, persecution, it, it's a given. It has, it will happen to those who follow Jesus. Get it? Good, right? We think. In fact, persecution of God's people, uh, of people living God's way, it's like all over the Old Testament, Right? Abel, Noah, Moses, Samuel, David, Jeremiah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Esther, Mordecai, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, all suffered persecution. 
And the Hebrew writer, after talking about all the great victories of those who quenched the fury of the flame, shut the mouths of lying, administered justice, conquered kingdoms, and, and, and routed foreign enemies, he wrote this, others, not so lucky. Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with the sword. Some went around wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. You see, persecution, it's a given. And Jesus tells us two of the main reasons in this beatitude. One reason is, You you will be persecuted because of the life that you live. Blessed are those who persecute it because of righteousness. Persecuted because they they live the right way, because they they live God's way, because they stand up for the right things. They they stand up for God. Now, Now, sometimes those who claim Christ suffer persecution, but it's not because of righteousness. But instead, it's because they are hateful, unloving, mean spirited, judgmental. Loud, obnoxious, self-righteous, offensive, rude, and jerkish, right? I make that word up, I think. It could be a word. I couldn't find it this morning, right? Like, there's a church called Westboro Baptist Church, and they're known for hate speech against the lay, um, the lesbian, the LBGT, LG, whatever. I can't even say it. It's got too many letters for me, right? But the point is, they're just hateful, and, and they may think, hey, you know what? We're being persecuted for righteousness. No, they're not. It's because you're being rude. It's because you're being unloving because you don't look a thing like Jesus Christ. I like what Warren Wiersbe says. If I get in trouble because I talk too much or because I meddle or because I try to force my faith on other people, that's not persecution. And not, not, not B8 persecution, Beatitude 8 persecution. If I'm Promoting my own cause and men reject me, that's not persecution. If I'm arrogant and abusive in my attempt to witness for Christ and people want nothing to do with me, that is not persecution. But if I seek to do his will and honor his name and suffer, then that is persecution. Peter said, if you suffer, however, it must not be for being a murderer, stealing, making trouble, or prying to other people's businesses, right? Being rude, obnoxious. There's no blessing in that, right? There's no blessing and offending people with a nasty, negative, mean, spirited attitude, even if you think you're promoting the truth of God. Get it? Good. But here's the deal. What Jesus is teaching us is that sooner or later, living the right way, living as a believer, embracing this beatitude, getting to the end of me, will cause you to experience persecution. Why? Because darkness hates light. John writes, this is the verdict. Light has come into this world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. You know, if I've I've been sitting in a totally dark room for, say, a couple days and you shine a bright spotlight on me, that's going to be very uncomfortable, right? very uncomfortable for me. And if people have been living in a way contrary to God for a long time and 
and you shine a bright light of God's truth on them, it's going to be very uncomfortable to them. And also, it will show how messy the room is, right? How, how messy their life actually is. Jesus said that he is the light of the world. And he says that, that we are the light of the world. And listen, darkness hates light. If Jesus showed up today, right, we're so sophisticated, we would, the world would kill him today also, right? He would still get crucified. Because darkness can't stand light and evil can't stand goodness, and so if we're like, sometimes we think, you know, if I could just be nicer and kinder and more tolerant and more kind, then everybody will love me, right? Everything, no, Jesus was perfect. And they hated him. And they killed him. You'll be persecuted because of the way you live and because of the Lord that you love. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of me. See, our world finds the name Jesus, very offensive. One reason is Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, okay? I understand that that is very inclusive, right? It's open to everybody, but it's also very exclusive. You say, hey, hey anyone can be a part of it, but I'm it, I'm it. There's no one else. It's only me. Yeah, this week, I, 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 I Googled, why is the name of Jesus so offensive? <laughs> you know, and, and several things on the first page popped up. One was an article from uh, Colorado Springs where a church was told they could no longer, they were advertising on uh, bus stop benches, and they were using words like celebrate Jesus, experience Jesus. And they're told that, hey, when, you're, when your contract ends in July, we, and we're not going to renew it. Because we've got complaints, and if we allow you to use the name Jesus, we're going to have to start allowing hate messaging. What? And, and then another popped up, just happened just this last Christmas, where a family and uh, a couple in, in, in Pennsylvania got a letter from their homeowners association saying that, you know, you have Jesus in your Christmas decorations? That's offensive. You, you need to take that down. Uh, persecution is a given. Because the way we live and because the Lord that we love. And the persecution that we experience, Jesus said, it, it, it kind of comes at us three different ways. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Uh, verbal insults. The word means to revile, to throw out reproach, to, to cast one's teeth against. And, and it carries the idea, hear me, of of criticizing severely and publicly in order to destroy, discredit, degrade, defame a person's name and reputation. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of that kind of verbal insult. It's not, it's not a party. And then there's physical attacks. The word means to chase away, to pursue with hostile intent, to be hunted down as an animal. It can be defined as repeatedly, um, repeatedly raiding somebody or repeatedly attacking somebody. Now, we all know that the early Christians were persecuted. Uh, one writer said this, all the world knows of the Christians who were flung to the lions or burned at the stake, but those were kindly deaths. Nero wrapped the Christians in pitching set them alight 
and used them as living torches to light his garden. He sewed them into skins of wild animals and sent, set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them apart. They were tortured on the rack. Molten lead was poured hissing upon them. Their eyes were torn out. Parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their very eyes. Their hands and feet were burned while cold water was poured over them to lengthen the agony. These things are not pleasant to think about, but these are the things a man had to be prepared to do if he decided to follow Jesus. Here's a map up there. You can see the countries in, in red where, you know, it, you know, the purple is highly persecuted. The red is, you know, moderately persecuted. You know, thousands and thousands die every year. They're arrested, thrown in prison. Women are raped, sold into sex slavery because they follow Jesus. Several years back, I was in Bangladesh and, you know, got to worship with brothers who, you know, one guy recently just came back from being uh, kidnapped for three weeks and, and burned with electrical cords. You know, another guy had his house burned down because he became a Christian and had, couldn't find a job, had to go somewhere else to work, right? After verbal insults, physical attacks, followers of Christ will also face uh, those who falsely say all kinds of evil about them, right? Who, who just lie about them. Who say things that are hurtful. Who, who say things that are not true. And, and who try to get other people to believe those things that are not true. So those other people will wind up hating you too, even though they never actually even had a conversation with you. They'll say things behind your back. to hurt you and destroy you. They did that to Jesus. Persecution, it's a given. And... and, and it comes from the world and it comes from the church, right? Without and within. Now, most of my persecution that I've experienced has been from the church. You know what that says? I need to get out more. <laughs> That's what it says, right? I need to get out more, right? I, need, I just need to get out more. I need, I, I, need to, I need to mix up my persecution a little bit, right? That's, that's, that's what it says to me. And it's also a gift, Jesus says. And I, I, I want to give you some reasons why it actually is a gift. It doesn't make sense, right? But here's some reasons why. Persecution, it confirms our identity. Confirms our identity. Some people have called persecution a, a, a certificate of Christian authenticity, right? I mean, because what? People are seeing Jesus in you. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, that you are living out that name, that you, that you look like Jesus, that they can see Jesus in you. A persecution moves us to lean harder into God, right? Because we're being persecuted. I mean, we're going to lean harder into God, harder than we ever have before. And, and then we get to experience what Paul experienced, where he says, therefore, I, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. I delight in insults. I throw a party in hardships. I can't wait for persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You see, when we lead harder into, into Jesus, we get to meet him in ways we haven't met him before. Persecution gift also because it, it refines our faith. Peter talks about it, right? It's in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7, where Peter says that we got all these great blessings, and, but right now, you know what, it's kind of hard. It's kind of tough. You're enduring some trials 
but, but, but these are to help refine your faith so it's proof genuine when he comes back. It's kind of like Paul said, he says, I, I, I want to know Christ in the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. You see, there's a knowing of Christ that only those who suffer know, know him. You get what I'm saying? When you suffer for Christ, you get to know Jesus in, in, a, in, in a much different way than you could otherwise. For persecution uh, puts us in great company in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, we're on their team, right? I mean, we're wearing the same jersey, right? You know, we got the same jersey as Jeremiah and Elijah and Esther and Moses and Samuel and Isaiah, right? Uh, we're going through the same things they went through. I mean, and we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses that we can, that we can learn from, that, that, that we can get encouragement from. And fifth, persecution brings us a, it brings us a great reward. That word great means large, intense, strong, mighty, many, abundant. I don't know about you. I, I think rewards are pretty cool, right? You know, you know. I like rewards. And even when I go to Walgreens, hey, you've earned $5. You can get your, you can get your Red Bull for free today. Woohoo! Thank you for them rewards, right? Do you think God knows how to reward people greatly? Uh, Paul was a guy who endured a lot of persecution, right? He said this. It's kind of the verse I inspired the title. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we revealed in us. Look three people in the eye, and just they may be going through a hard time, and maybe they just need these words spoken to them, and just say, it's not worth comparing. It's not worth comparing. It's not worth comparing. I'm going to read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 16 through 17. Paul writes, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For light and momentary troubles, do been in prison, beaten, shipwrecked. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He says it's not, it's not worth comparing. Philip Yancey tells the story of some Americans in World War II. They were in a, in a German uh, prison camp, and they managed to build a radio, and they hear on the radio the news that the Supreme German Command had surrendered, but since the communication was so bad, the soldiers didn't know about it, right? You know, until four days later when the Americans woke up and found out all the Germans had left and their prison doors were open. But in those three days, those three interim days, you know, they still suffered, they were still mocked, they were still abused, but they were changed. They, they kind of waved at the guards, hey, how y'all doing today, right? They smiled and gave food to the German shepherds. They, they joked over their meals, and they sang. Why? Because they knew that their salvation was sure and certain and on its way. And we can know the same things, brothers and sisters. It's a gift, persecution. It's a, it's a given, and lean in, because this, this is really important. It's a gauge that measures if we're living for Christ or for our own comfort. I mean, Jesus makes it clear, right, that the blessed life is not going to be an easy life. It, 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 it's, not, it, it's not just, you know, it, it's not flying first class. It's not, 
It's not just being waited on at five-star restaurants, right? It's not having a, a, a deep tissue massage every day. He says, no, a, a blessed life, it's a life where you're, you're living far outside your comfort zone, right? And, and like I kind of built my comfort zone right here with this tape, right? Like, like you know, I, I, I want to stay, we want to stay in our comfort zone, right? We, we like to be comfortable, we like to stay somewhere where there, you know, out here there, there might be some danger, there, there might be some risk, there might be some sacrifices I, I, I don't want to make. But yet, what you see consistently in Scripture is that when people stepped outside of their comfort zone, they put themselves in a place where they could be blessed, right? Like you got Noah. And Noah found out, hey, you know, if I want to follow God, I can't stay in my comfort zone. I'm going to have to step outside my comfort zone. And guess what? Yeah, they're going to mock me. They're going to make fun of me. But there's a blessing in that. It's like Moses. He was living in his comfort zone, herding sheep for his father-in-law. And God said, you know what? If you're going to follow me, you can't stay in your comfort zone. You need to step out of your comfort zone so that you can help me deliver my people. And he steps out, and guess what? It wasn't always pretty. It wasn't always easy. Even his own brother and sister attacked him. But there was a, a blessing in that. There was a blessing in that. And, and, and it's a gauge. But, like, are we living for Christ or for our own comfort? Like, like, here's what I'm trying to say to us, and I'm so included, right? Because I'm, I'm very myopic in my persecution. It just happens within the church most times, okay? Here's what I'm trying to say, that if, if somehow we have found a way to live for Jesus and never experience any persecution, we may not be living for Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? Because Jesus said, it doesn't work that way. He said, hey, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they hated me, they're, they're, they're going to they're, they're they're hate you. And if you found a way where you have no verbal insults, right, there's no one lying about you, attacking you, slandering you, but you're not enduring any physical attacks, I think that should give us pause. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying this week, i got to go out and find a way to be persecuted, right? No. Don't worry. Live for Jesus, love Jesus, and it's going to come find you, right? You don't have to go looking for it. Because if you live a life for Jesus and you love Jesus, it's going to, like, it's going to find you. And, and, and so maybe, you know, you're feeling a little conviction now, and you're like, okay, I hear what you're saying, and you know, I need to be pushed a little bit, but I, I don't even know where the lines of my comfort zone are. You know, so how do I know that I'm stepping out of it? F. E-A-R. Spells what? Fear, right? When you start to feel a little bit afraid, <laughs> and then you're probably stepping outside your, your comfort zone. And so a, a question I think we need to ask ourselves is, when has the last time following Jesus produced fear in you? When's the last time it's produced fear in me? Because there, 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 there is something wrong in my life if fear is never a factor and, and courage never needs to be called upon for me to make it through what I'm doing. See, one way you know you're following Jesus is that he always does this. He leads you out of your comfort zone. It's what he does. 
You know, most of us, we want to follow Jesus and be in our comfort zone at the same time, right? Uh, uh, we want both, our comfort and Jesus. You can't have both. It's like a, it's like a one or another deal. And so in Luke 9, the end of the chapter, there's this guy who comes up to Jesus and says, yo, Jesus. I don't know if he said, yo, Jesus, right? He said, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. Man, there are no boundaries. Wherever you go, Jesus, man, I'm there. I'm there. I'm going to follow you. I'm there. Count on me. This is awesome. But I, I want to tell you something, uh, that, that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Like, hey, you want to follow me, but are you kind of attached to beds? Because <laughs> there, there, there ain't no beds uh, where I am. There ain't no beds if you're, if you're following after me, suddenly this guy's like, you know, I, I don't think I want to do that. I, I don't think I want to step out of that zone. I, I kind of like it here. It's safe. It's secure. And, and here's what I think God is asking us to do in one degree or another as we wrap up this series, at least talking about every Sunday. It doesn't go away because it's God's word. He's asking us to step outside our comfort zone. He's asking you to step outside your comfort zone. That's why you're here today. Some of you are saying, why the heck did I come to church today? Yoo-hoo! Persecution outside your comfort zone. Sign me up. What are, this is, yeah, this is awesome. He's calling us to do something that doesn't feel safe. Something that's risky. That, 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 that makes you uncomfortable. And I, I, I don't know what it is for you because we're all at different places, Right? It depends on where we are in our journey. For some of you, maybe your comfort zone, it's like in your own neighborhood. And like you don't, you're not the kind of person who just naturally walks up to neighbors and introduce yourself and, you know, and, and like try to figure out how you can work Jesus in the conversation. You're like, you know, what if I do that and they like laugh at me or they, they talk behind my back and it doesn't go well? Jesus says, well, you're blessed in that. And, and, and maybe for students, maybe, maybe, out of your comfort zone is like, you know, you don't bring a Bible to school and you're, you'll be uncomfortable praying before lunch or uncomfortable sitting with the people that no one will sit with because they're kind of not the people you sit with, right? We've all sat in the lunchroom, right? And, and you don't want to be known as some kind of religious freak and you're afraid that if you do that, that maybe people avoid you too. Talk about you. And Jesus says, yeah, if they do, you're blessed. Or maybe it's at work and like no one at work even knows you're a Christian and you know God put you there for a reason. You say, you know, I'm going to figure out, out a way where, where I can make my faith known, not being obnoxious, right? Not being rude and arrogant, but to make my faith known. And, and maybe it makes people uncomfortable and maybe it makes your supervisor uncomfortable and maybe you don't get invited to all the dinner parties and maybe you don't get that promotion and maybe they even decide, hey, what, we're going to let you go. And Jesus says, if that happens, you're blessed. You see, I don't know when it happened, but at some point, we started to think that we could follow Jesus and not have to do anything dangerous, that, that, that we could follow Jesus and we could just stay right here. Here's where I'll go. I'll follow you anywhere as long as it's not outside of here, right? As long as it's where I'm comfortable and it's convenient and I feel okay with it, I'll follow you anywhere as long as it's where I want to go. And I think as a church, we're partly responsible, right? Because we, we want, you know, we get caught up in 
wanting you to be comfortable, right? We can get uncomfortable if the service goes a little bit long, right? Oh, gosh, they're going to be uncomfortable. They're here for the first time, and preacher went a little bit long. The music was long. We want you to be, we want you to be comfortable. I don't know if you bought into it yet, you know, the lie that, hey, you can follow Jesus and you can just have your own little box of safety and comfort, that you don't have anything risky or dangerous. It's a gauge, persecution. You know, are you living for Christ or living for your comfort? If you follow Jesus, he will lead you out of your comfort zone. You can't follow Jesus and stay in your comfort zone. You can't do both. I got to tell you, you know, this is an extremely uncomfortable book. You know what I'm saying? Like, love your enemies. Be a peacemaker. Reach out to someone who you know you ain't right with and say, hey, you want to talk truth and grace and righteousness with me? Then can we get together? You know, this is a, a dangerous book. This is a very uncomfortable book, Right? But we serve a very uncomfortable God who's made some pretty incredible promises. And here's what we're going to do um, as we wrap up the series. We've had stations like er, er, throughout the, the series where you would write out your brokenness. Lord, help me with. I repent of. Lord, I forgive. We had a thing where we washed our hands, symbolizing pure in heart. What, what I have here, uh, I have at all those stations, there's an envelope. And, and, and in this envelope, oh, it, mm, ah. Make sense? In this envelope, and this is, this could really like change somebody's life in here. And a lot of lives out there. In this envelope are eight things, right? That you can choose to do. I'm calling it the, the six month challenge. Hashtag the end of me, hashtag leave in your comfort zone, right? And, 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 and so if you pick this up, I'm not gonna tell you what they are. Right, and so so if you pick this up, then you're saying, "Hey, you know what? I, I'm going to find." And don't it, you you can't do something you're already doing, <laughs> right? And that doesn't count. I would say the thing that makes you go, oh, "I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I can do that." You know. So we always close with the song. We're going to do that, and during our time of communion, right? We go off to the sides. That's where our communion stations are. You know, we do it with a double cup where the cracker that represents his broken body and shed blood, right? And the cup is on top, the grape juice that represents his blood poured out for us. That's where we collect our offering. That's where we have our compassion buckets. And, you know, we're doing that, that 100% free um, camp coming up on spring break from 8 to 5 you know, I think there's over 60 kids signed up. I mean, we, we, we are pouring through just, in our community, tens of thousands of dollars of free care for our community. And, and we definitely could always use some more volunteers, but all the money in our compassion buckets, a few bucks we put in there, is going to help, you know, just go towards the camp. Then you have an opportunity to grab one of these, you know, and say, you know, you may want to open up later, pray over and say, God, you know, lead me to what you want me to do. And, and uh, would you guys stand? I'm going to pray. And there we're going to sing. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. And, and God, it's scary to follow you. And it's scary to me, Lord, because, you know, I thought I was doing pretty good. 
And then you're like, mm, not totally. You, you play it safe too much and you don't take enough risk and you don't do things that cause you to fear enough, Steve. And so, God, I pray you be with us. And Father, this is not about me. It's not about Maple Grove. It's about us. If we claim we want to follow Jesus, Lord, then, then we have to leave our comfort zone and follow you, Lord, and live a life that honors you. And just trust you that you'll be with us along the way, that your spirit will guide us and, and be with us. Be with us as we celebrate uh, the cross and what it did and what it means. In Jesus' name, amen.